Amen. It is so great to worship a God who is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, and a light in the darkness. Celebrate that with me again, that we get to declare those truths this morning. Good morning again, as Fitz said earlier. If you're joining us on campus, we're glad to see you. If you're joining us online, interact with the people that you're attending church with this morning. Let that be a community of believers that you can interact with today. My name is Mark. If you are new with us, and I'm the director of Next Steps here, and so if you need help getting connected in any way here at the church, either with others or learning more about a relationship with God, reach out to me. You can find my contact on the website, and I'd love to meet with you and walk you through uh, some next steps in your relationship with Jesus or the church. So we're continuing in our Waymaker series this morning, and as Fitz shared, as he lit the peace candle, that will be our theme this morning. So far, throughout the month, our Waymaker series has looked at the theme of faith and hope and joy, and this morning we're going to talk about peace. And, and to do that, I want to open with a question to get you thinking a little bit. What would it take for you to have peace? What would it take for you to have peace? peace. And maybe to help you further, let's do a fill in the blank. For me to have peace, I need, what would your first responses be? What would you fill in that blank with? For me to have peace, I need, and then fill in the blank. For many of us, I'm sure the initial thoughts would be, well, for me to have peace, there needs to be less war and less violence. For the world to have peace, we need less war and less violence. Maybe you might say, well, to have peace, we need people to get along. Uh, for, for me to have peace, I need this or I need that to happen in my life. You know, there's no shortage of songwriters who have attempted to fill in this blank for us. Some of you might be familiar with these songs. John Lennon asked us to imagine, imagine a world where all the things that divide us are gone. Can you imagine that, he asked. Uh, Kenny Chesney just says, why can't we all get along? It's a very country way of saying that, right? Why can't we all just get along? That's what he recommends as a way to peace. Uh, maybe uh, an older song or two that you might remember, Jackie DeShannon says, you know what? To have peace, we just need to put a little bit of love in our heart. And her other song, because what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That really, if we could just put a little love in our heart, that's what the world needs. If we could all just get along, if we could take away the things that divide us, then we would have peace. And maybe on a big scale, that might be true, on a worldwide scale. If we could reduce the amount of war and violence and poverty, there probably would be more peace. But I'm, I'm more interested in what you would say in your life personally. Like, what would we put in the blank in our context, for our lives. And maybe it sounds things like this. For me to have peace, uh, maybe you're thinking, I need my husband to be emotionally present. Uh, he's physically there, but emotionally he is checked out. And if he would give an ounce of effort at home like he gives at work, then our family would be off the charts. Incredible. Maybe, maybe you fill in the blank with that. Maybe you say, for me to have peace, I need a better paying job that it's really stressful, especially this time of year, to decide, am I gonna not pay this bill this month or am I not gonna pay this bill this month? And if I just had a better paying job, I'd have more peace because lack of income creates stress. Maybe you say, for me to have peace, I, I need to forgive myself 
for things I've done to other people. Maybe you've carried guilt for things that you've done and you, maybe you've driven people away and so many times the holiday season brings up those feelings, don't they? When families come together but that one family member isn't there because of the dysfunction that's happened and maybe you were a part of that and so you're like, for me to have peace, especially this time of year, I need some of my relationships to be restored. I need to forgive myself of some of that guilt. You know, it's really hard for peace to blossom in the weeds of guilt and shame. Maybe you say, for me to have peace, it's even deeper. I need someone to return to me. Maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one, and that death has just kind of robbed you of your peace, and you've just not had peace since the passing of that loved one. There's so many things we could fill in that blank with. For me to have peace, I need so many answers. In a room this large with this many people, there could be a variety of answers, and, and I want to empathize with you this morning. Uh, sometimes the situations in our lives are heavy. And, and this season, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, except sometimes it isn't, right? Because of family dysfunction and disorder or passing of love, the things that just this season brings back to, to our memories. And, and so we care about you. We care about that. And if you need to talk with someone about anything that's going, in your, going on in your life, reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you, meet with you, and just help you navigate that season, that situation in your life. I share in that struggle with you this morning. On Tuesday, I will be preaching my grandmother's funeral. And so you know, holidays would be less stressful if she hadn't passed when she did. And so this season can, can be a season where we're supposed to celebrate peace, but sometimes it seems to elude us. And if I were to take all of our answers, the many answers that we would give as to, for me to have peace, I need. I bet if we were really gonna try to boil it all down, this is how we could summarize it. For me to have peace, something needs to change. Does that seem fair? Whether it's a relationship being restored or a better paying job or this or that, so many times we will say, for me to have peace, something has to change. Something's gotta give might be another way we might say it. Right, if this person would just change or this situation would just change, then maybe, maybe I could have some peace. And yet here's a problem we deal with. Many of the things that take our peace are beyond our control. And so we live in this tension of knowing, hey, I want peace, but I can't control the situation that would bring me peace. And so we're left in the middle sometimes of what to do and how to respond. And as I was thinking through that, that question for you this morning, I thought, you know what would be helpful is if we could talk to someone who had peace and then lost it. Like if we could talk to someone who had real peace and then talk, talk to them after they lost it and see how they would answer. What I need to have peace is this. And so I started thinking through some biblical examples. Who would be some biblical examples of people who had peace and lost it. And I can't think of anyone better than Adam and Eve. If you're new to scripture, Adam and Eve is a story you'll find in Genesis chapter three. If you are new to the faith or new to us and you don't have a Bible, take the one in your seat back. It's not theft, we're giving it to you. You can take it home with you. It's yours, write in it, Merry Christmas. But in Genesis chapter three, we learn the story of Adam and Eve. And if it kind of goes like this, Adam and Eve are created and they're put in this garden called Eden. And what we know is everything was perfect, 
There was no war, there were no diseases, there was nothing, it was perfection. God created all things, placed them here, and it was perfect. And they walked in harmony with God. We, we read that God walks with them. There's, there's no disunity between Adam and Eve or between them and God, it's perfect. And in fact, scripture says, they were naked and felt no shame. And that's a good day right there. Right, they, they were naked and felt no shame. There was no walking by the mirror for them and going, oh, goodness. Right, they, they were naked and felt no shame. They were in perfection. And then they weren't. Something changed in their story. And as you read on, you learn that they disobeyed God. They were tricked into believing that they could learn some things that God had not told them. And they eat some fruit and their lives changed dramatically. They eat this fruit, and one of the first things they notice is that they were naked. And so they hid. Or they realize, oh, this is not right. We have to hide from one another. I don't know about you, and maybe I'm reading in between the lines of Scripture here, but I bet they had a fight after they ate the fruit. Scripture doesn't tell us that they got into an argument, but I have to imagine they just sinned and are going to get kicked out of the garden, right? And Adam looks at Eve and goes, you always think you're right. Look what you've done. Right, and she looks at him, she's like, you never stand up for me, Adam. You always blame me for everything. Right, this, I'm sure they had their first argument. They went from perfect peace to, oh no, we're naked and now we hate each other. Uh, Dramatic change, they had peace and then they didn't. Right, and they they get removed from the garden and Adam has to get up and go to work and the things are gonna work against him. Eve has to experience the pain of childbirth. They're removed from the garden, and it's not shortly thereafter that they actually have to bury one of their sons because one of their other sons will murder him. And so they go from a place of true, ultimate peace to having that removed. And so I wonder for them, how would they fill in the blank? For them to have peace, they need, my guess is they would tell us to go back, to rewind. If I could just go back and take away what I did. If I'm, if I'm Adam and Eve, how, how do I get peace? Just let me go back in time, not do that thing I did, and then I'll still have peace. You know, sadly, it doesn't work that way, does it? Life doesn't let us go in reverse. It should be nice if it did, right? It, you know, in the Microsoft Word programs where you can hit the undo button, it'd be nice if life had one of those where you could just undo what you just did and go back, rewind a little bit. Because we know sometimes the decisions we've made have, have caused a lack of peace in our lives. And if we could just redo those things, we could have some peace. And it doesn't work that way. We can't rewind and, and remove the things that we've done. But I wonder if you've ever felt like Adam and Eve in that moment. Like, man, if I could just go back in time, change a few things, I could keep some peace in my life. I wouldn't have this disruption you know, one of the things we learn from the story in Adam and Eve, we learn many things. But I think one truth we learn is that sin steals peace. Sin steals peace. Where there is sin, there is a lack of peace. Where there is sin, there is a lack of peace. Adam and Eve experienced that, and so do we so many times. I don't know how many, you've sinned and then you're like, oh, I feel so at peace. Those things don't follow, right? We sin and then we think, oh man, I really messed up and we've lost a little bit of that peace. But for Adam and Eve, it's beyond just their sin. They, They brought sin into the world for all of us. 
Paul writes it like this in Romans. He says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. See, there's something we have to understand, and that is that the sin of Adam and Eve severed their relationship with God, and as a result, sin entered the world. And we repeat that same cycle that is passed down from generation through generation of man pursuing the things they should not pursue. We call that our sinful nature, and that was introduced through the sin of Adam and Eve in eating the fruit and all the things that are bad in this world, all the things that, that rob us of our peace can be traced back to sin in some way. Right? The effects of sin are everywhere. War and disease, death, divorce, poverty, abuse, sexual perversion. You could name, you could just go down a list. All the bad things that take our peace are a result of sin. And as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, deep within each one of us, there is a a crack in our soul, there's a, there's a severedness between us and God. There's a brokenness inside each one of us as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. And we repeat that same cycle. Their sin costs their peace, and we do the same thing over and over. Where there is sin, there is a lack of peace. And I want to be clear, I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me and say that, that your specific sin caused a loved one to leave or to die or to do so for some of those bad things. And while sin can cause those things, what I'm saying is that sin itself, the existence of sin, has robbed us of our peace. The fact that sin exists means that there is now a lack of true peace in the world. And we live in the results of that. We see it every day. Every time you turn on the news channel, you will see the results of sin. I think sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp the power of sin. You know, sin has affected everything and everyone in this world. We, we have to understand that as long as sin exists, true peace, like what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, will be just outside of our reach. Now, we know, for those of us who follow Jesus, if you fast forward to the end of the Bible, so you start at the beginning, you fast forward to the end, to Revelation, and it's the story of God redeeming all of creation to himself, of Jesus coming and setting all things right. And so we know that there is a day coming where there will be no more weeping and no more crying and no more pain and no more suffering because all those things will be an old way of living and a new life will come. But in between, we live in a world that has been fractured and broken by sin. And so there is a disruption in our peace, in our souls. We live in a broken, sinful world. And so you might be thinking, well, Mark, thanks for cheering me up for Christmas time. This doesn't sound like a very happy message, right? You're basically saying, hey, sin stole our peace, and until Jesus comes back, we'll never actually have it again. And that is true. When Jesus returns, he will restore peace and order and will bring a new heaven and a new earth and all the travesty that we experience will be gone because that will be an old way of living. But in the meantime, there's something else. We're, we're in this middle ground we might feel like sometimes, and, but we're not left there. You might say, well, what am I to do? Should I just throw up my hands and just forget this whole thing and just suffer through life and see where it goes? I don't think that's what God calls us to 
I don't think he calls us just to, to walk around burdened and, and just say, well, you know, in the end, he'll make everything new. I guess for now, I'll just, you know, eke my way through life. That's not what the, the life of the Bible has to offer. I don't think we just suffer through life. You see, this is where the good news begins to enter the story that I'm communicating with you today. See, there's, there's good news in that God doesn't leave us just to suffer in this life. Rewind with me to Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve realize they're naked and they are shameful. And what does God make for them? Clothing. He makes garments for them to wear. A God who is angry and wants to punish does not make clothing for his creation. And so God demonstrates in the early pages of scripture that he will show grace and mercy to his people. And that's demonstrated in God making garments for Adam and Eve and he does that spiritually for us every day. He has a way of, of clothing us. It's not through physical garments. It's spiritual in nature. He doesn't leave us naked and afraid and just wandering through life and hoping that one day we'll, we'll get some hope and joy and peace. No, he is making a way now. He has made a way for us to experience some peace here and now while we wait for ultimate peace. You might remember a few moments ago, I read to you from Romans where Paul talks about through one man, sin entered the world. I left out a bunch of that scripture. And it's really important because it's all the good news stuff in the scripture that I wanna make sure you know this morning. And so I'm gonna read from, from Romans and what Paul had to say. I'm gonna read from the message paraphrase translation. It just beautifully articulates what I'm trying to get through this morning. So just follow along with me on the screen. Look at what Paul says in Romans, starting chapter five, 12 through 21. He says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one is exempt from either sin or death. We just talked about that. Sin entered the world through one man, and we all live in that. That sin, Adam and Eve's sin, disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of that disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. Pause right there. What he's saying is, that once God gave the laws, the 10 commandments and said, here's what you should do and shouldn't do, that's when it became really clear what sin is. It's like it had some terms put on it. Like here's literally what sin looks like. So we'll go on. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, the separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet, the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured out through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin, Adam and Eve, was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Absolute life 
in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gifts, this grand setting everything right life that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. A world without end. You see, sin entered the world through one man and sin will be destroyed through one man. And that is Jesus Christ. What he's saying is the forgiveness of our sins is offered through Jesus. If a lack of peace is a result of sin, then an abundance of peace is a result of grace. If a lack of peace is a result of sin, then an abundance of peace is a result of grace. I read a really good article kind of talking about this from the Gospel Coalition. Listen to how the writer describes grace. Grace is God's disposition of kindness toward the world. It's not as though we're grinding out the Christian life and God just drops grace packets from heaven to push us over the hump. God has unlocked a dizzying series of blessings in Christ, including holiness and blamelessness and adoption and redemption and forgiveness, and that's just to name a few. And it all begins with grace. Grace brings peace. You might wanna hold on to that. Grace brings peace. Peace with God and peace with others and a broader peace throughout all creation. But the order is important. Grace first, peace follows. He goes on to write, other religions operate in the reverse. Peace, then grace. If I can just get peace with God or the gods or some supernatural being, if I can get peace first through some set of rituals, then maybe I can secure his favor in my life. And sometimes you and I as believers operate in that peace then grace mentality. We think if we can just achieve peace with God, then we will have grace in our lives. He says, and you see that invites a host of insecurities and anxieties into our life because we miss the point of the Christian faith. We are saved by grace, which then brings peace into our lives. Grace then peace. His grace allows us to experience peace. Can you see it? Through one man sin entered the world, through another sin is destroyed. 
and it was destroyed by Jesus. And so we celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas, not just because he was some baby born in a manger, but because it marks a moment in history when the law of sin and death will be destroyed through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And as a result, our sins can be forgiven, our souls made whole, and we can experience some sort of peace in this life while we await ultimate peace that will come to us at the end of this life. All right, Jesus is the one who can reconnect, can, can uh, fix that severed relationship with God. He existed before Adam and before sin, and he can restore us. He chose to leave heaven and to dwell among us as one of us, to show us a way to live and to ultimately forgive us of our sins. You know, it turns out that our answer was right to the question earlier. What do I need to have peace? For me to have peace, I need something to change. Turns out, that's right. For us to have peace, something has to change. But it's not a change that happens out there. It's not a change that happens in the world. It's not a change that happens in circumstances. It's a change that happens in here and in here. As we learn to accept the forgiveness of God, to allow our souls to be restored, and to move into right relationship with him and others. You see, it's a change that happens from the inside out. No circumstance changing will ultimately bring the peace that we so desire, the peace that is in our souls, the echo of Eden, as some writers would call it that calls out that we know things aren't perfect the way they should be. This change happens from the inside out as we learn to surrender to Jesus and to follow him daily. And so you might wonder, what's this look like in my life? What does this actually look like in reality? I get what you're saying, right? Sin steals peace and grace will restore peace. But what does that really look like in my life? And it, it comes out in, in thinking like, you know what? I can't change another person, but I can let Christ work in me and change my heart. I can't stop the next war or slow down future inflation or prevent a recession, but I can let Christ calm my spirit and know that he loves me and deeply cares for me. Right, I can't stop death and I can't bring a loved one back but I can live knowing that one day all things will be explained and I will experience a new heaven and a new earth. Do you see? It's from a place of peace through the grace of Christ that we can live our lives and have some peace with us. It's not Eden. It won't be perfect. And it's not logical. Scripture describes this as peace that is beyond understanding. It transcends understanding because it's not logical, it's spiritual. It's greater than logic. It defies logic. Someone might look at your life and say, how in the world could you have peace in the midst of all this turmoil? And you'll say, I don't know. I think it's the grace of God in my life. You see, he saved me. And while things are crazy right now, I know one day all will be restored. You can't make someone else forgive you, but you can let Christ forgive you and learn to forgive yourself. I can't bring my grandmother back, but I can preach her funeral this Tuesday and know that she is at peace with God, as am I, and one day, maybe, we might meet again. Do you see how peace works in your life once you've accepted Christ? 
Right, with our souls restored, our sins forgiven, we can live in a world consumed by chaos and still have peace. We can travel through difficult seasons and still have peace. We can experience the loss of loved ones and still have peace. We can experience war and disease and all that sin has to throw at us and still have peace. Because deep down, we are complete and we are whole again through the grace of Christ in his coming, his death and his burial and resurrection. I mean, this is what the angels were telling us the night Christ was born. Luke chapter two, the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They're saying peace has come through the person of Jesus Christ and the grace of God to provide us a way out so that we're not caught in our sin, but we have an opportunity to be forgiven and set This is Christmas time, and so you're probably driving around and you're listening to Christmas carols, unless you're the Grinch, and then you're not. Um, and so you're probably singing along in your car, right? And you're just singing words. You don't even know what you're singing. You just know them, all right? There's so many times we just sing songs. We don't really stop and think about what is being said. And there's a famous Christmas uh, hymn called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You're probably singing the melody in your head right now. You can thank me later for that being implanted there. But I'm gonna read that to you. I just wanna read the lyrics of that song to you and really listen to what the writer was trying to communicate to us and what he was saying. The lyrics will be on the screen here. Right, he says, hark, listen, the angels are singing. Glory to God, the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. You see, for God and sinners are reconciled. Joyful, all the nations will rise and will join in triumph of the skies. And with the angels, we will proclaim Christ is born. Hark, they say, listen, the herald angels sing. Glory to God, the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. You see, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that no man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them a second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Hark, are you listening? The the angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy miles. You see, God and sinners are reconciled. Joyful, all you nations will rise. Join the triumph of the skies. And with the angels, we will proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. You see, the angels sing glory to the newborn king. And they're singing glory because they're celebrating the day. They're celebrating the day that Christ came as a baby it would grow into a man and would offer his life as a forgiveness of our sins so that we could experience the grace that he has for us and the salvation of our souls. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna sing that carol together. And I hope it means something new for you this Christmas. 
that when you hear this, you really understand what the writer was saying. It's not some just pretty little melody that we hum along in our car and be numb to. No, we're declaring that God and sinners, God and me, God and you are reconciled through the grace of Christ. And that is where we will find ultimate peace. Let's sing this song together this morning, church.